Okay, so 1 Timothy chapter 5. We have an interesting subject to talk about tonight. We're going to be talking about older men and older women. And I'm going to to tread very carefully on this subject. I'm not giving, I am not, I, Ben Bufkin, am not going to give any uh, distinction between what is old or young. That's going to be left up to you. And as you read further, it's going to be left up to Scripture. <laughs> and so we're going to see Scripture actually gives a number. We're just going to leave that alone. I'll let you judge for yourself. But we're going to talk about older men, older women, younger men and younger women. And we're going to talk specifically about widows and the issue of widows in the church. And, and so just to kind of give us a frame of reference before we get into this, you know, I, the last two times I preached on, uh, in First Timothy, I pointed us back to the scripture in the beginning of the book where it talks about how Paul is telling Timothy, I'm writing these things to you so that you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. And so this is this is the purpose of this letter. And he deals with he's dealing with different issues in the in in the beginning and throughout first Timothy and second Timothy and a lot of Paul's writings. He's dealing with false teaching in the church. So that's one of his purposes, is to address false teaching, address false teachers, and empower Timothy to be a bold man of God and to stand up for the truth. And, and last week, Matt dealt with that. And he, Timothy was dealing with this idea, with some, maybe this pressure that he was feeling that people were overlooking him because of his youth. And what did we read last week? Paul, him, Paul told him, don't let anybody despise you because of your youth. In fact, you be an example in your speech, in your conduct, in the way that you live. And so there's lots of issues that Paul is addressing. And then, you know, I dealt with the issue uh, about men and women and and the the roles of men and women in church. And then tonight we're going to deal with the issue of widows and how should the church handle widows and the the, the view of of church family. And so before we get into that subject, um, I just want to make a statement uh, to introduce this subject the the church the church is a gathering of the family of god the church is a gathering of the family of god and that word family is so important it's a gathering of the family of god we are not a gathering of spectators this is so easy for us to fall into this category when we think about church and you know i guess it could be a challenge for any size church but Specifically for a larger church. You know, when we, we get in here on Sunday, on Sunday mornings and there's 12, 13, 1400 people in the building, it is difficult for people to come and to feel like it's a family. Because when you think of family, what do you think? You think of a smaller gathering of people. You think of your family, your husband, your wife, your kids, your grandparents. You think of, of, of close knit situations. And so in a larger church, it's hard for us to think of church as a family. But that's what, that's what we are. We are a family when we gather on Wednesdays, on Sundays. We're, we're a family when we gather in our life groups. We're a family wherever we gather. And you know, and you, you broaden that out as Christians that gather as a family in the context of Living Word Church in Homa, Louisiana. If we move ourselves and we go to another city, into another church who believes in Jesus, we transplant ourselves into that family. And so we are all one family of God, not only here, but in every Christian church in America and all around the entire world. We are a family of God. God is our Father. 
we are his children. So we, we are not a gathering of spectators who gather to watch church happen from week to week. That is so easy. I, I've, been, I've been studying this subject about church culture and how people view church and, 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 and how they approach coming to church. And I just believe that in larger churches, it is hard to shake the idea that when we gather in a big building, that we're, that we're not there to be entertained. You know, when you go to large gatherings, when you think of coming somewhere in a large gathering, what do you typically do in a large gathering? Whether it's a sporting event, a concert, you're there to be entertained, right? You're there to have somebody do something for you so you could watch it and be entertained. And so I think that can happen for us in a lot of larger churches. That we come in and we sit in our chairs and we look up at the people on the stage and we say, okay, now what are you going to do? Do something for me. Play that instrument really well for me. Preach that sermon for me. Do something for me to make me be entertained. And that's just such a trap. We have to push back against that. Look, if, if our church grows and gets larger than this, it's even, it's, it, we gotta amp up the fight against making our congregation be a congregation of anything other than a family. We have to try to make our large church small in as many ways as we possibly can. We need to emphasize that our church is a family. And so with that context in mind, when we think that of being a family, I think there's so many ways in which this plays out in our local church. And so let's look at the text and we're, and we're going to deal with two main issues. The relationship between younger people and older people and the, and the responsibility also that the church has towards vulnerable people, towards widows and even orphans. And so let's look at the text. First Timothy 5, 1 through 16. Let's just read all 16 verses and we'll come back and we'll study it. It says, do not rebuke an older man. But encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age. Told you it had, had a number in there. I'm not saying anything about the number. I'm just saying the Bible has a number. Having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. But refuse to enroll younger widows. For when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. 
for some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are, who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. All right. That's some interesting stuff there. <laughs> Let's try to dive into that and unpack it. And so before we get into the issue of widows, I want to deal with the issue of older men, older women, younger men and younger women. And this, again, the context is family. We're all family here. We're a family, whether you're, whether you're 60, 70, 80, whether you're 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, whether you're young or you're old, we are all family. We are one family, and each of us have unique roles in the family of God, in this local context. And so, how should we respond? And to me, that's the question that guides this whole section in 1 Timothy 5. How should we respond to each other in the church, our church family? And so, I have four things that I want to bring out as it, as it unfolds it in the text. The, the, the first thing I want to bring out is that we should treat older men and women with honor and respect. We should treat older men and women with honor and respect. Now, again, I'm, I'm not giving a blanket age for what is older, but you can figure that out on your own. We should treat older men, men and women with honor and respect. And that's, and that's the first two verses. Let's go back to those two verses. Now, the, the context of these two verses is having to do with rebuking for sin. It says, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men, when you're going to rebuke them, rebuke them as brothers. Older women, the same principle with the older men. As mothers, when you're going to approach an older person that's, that's in sin, you should do it not, not harshly, but you should do it Gently, with a sense of respect and honor. And if you're going to rebuke somebody that's your age, that's younger, you, you should do it as a brother would do it, out of sincere compassion and love for them. So do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers. So older men should be related to as fathers, and older women should be related to as mothers. And so we should treat, to me that's a picture in the body of Christ, we that are younger, how many young people do we have here tonight? <laughs> we have a responsibility from God and a command by God to treat older people in our family with honor and respect in the same way. And that's exactly what he says here. Encourage him as you would a father or as you would a mother. That's how we should treat Older people in the church, we should not overlook them and despise them because they're not young anymore. We shouldn't think that they don't have any more good ideas. Once you get past the age of 50, you lose all your good ideas. Man, thank the Lord that that's not the case, right? I mean, where would all those young people be if there would not be for the wisdom of experience and understanding because of a lot of mistakes that you guys have, all, the, all you older people have made over the years, right? That's how we learn through wisdom of God's word. And we learn through trial and error and making mistakes. We should treat older men and women with respect, with honor and respect. Let's look at Ephesians 6, 1 through 3. You know, so if this is how we should treat as younger people, those that are older, as fathers and mothers, what was God's command to children as concerning how they should respond to fathers and mothers? Let's look at Ephesians 6, 1 through 3. It says, children... Obey your parents in the Lord, for, for this is right. And here's verse 2. Honor your father and your mother, 
This is the first commandment with the promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. When you honor people that are older than you and, and you if you're younger and you honor them and you, you show respect to them, things go well for you in your life. Not just your earthly parents, but those in your life, in the family. Again, this is the context of family. If you don't see church as a family, if that's not your context for church, and church is just a place for you to come and spectate, and church is just a place for you to come and take up space, but you don't genuinely see this as a family that gathers together for mutual building up and encouragement, then this doesn't really make sense to you. It's kind of like, what do you mean? I don't... I come to church and I just kind of come and sit and listen and then I leave. But if you really look at church as God designed it to be, then you're going to have interactions with people. And when you have interactions with people, that means you're going to have interactions with people where you maybe disagree with them. Or maybe you get offended by them. And this is when this, this idea of honoring and respecting older people becomes challenging. But this is what God is saying to us. Honor your father. But have that sense of honor for those that are, are older. That word honor in the Greek is the word tomeo. And I think this is so, this is so neat. And it's such a great picture of what it means to honor and to respect our parents or those that are older. It's, it means to prize, to revere, or to value. To prize, to revere, or to value. Older men and women in, in our church family should be treated the same way we are commanded to treat our parents. And we should value and esteem the older men and women in our church. We should not overlook them as insignificant. But just as that word honor says, we should prize them. But rather, prize them for the wealth of wisdom they have acquired. You know, my, my desire is that should, I, I, I just wish that would be the case across the board. You know, you, you know, you get, you see these videos of people that are my age. And they, 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 they talk about how, uh, you know, the, uh, younger generation is just so full of disrespect and they, and they don't understand what it means to really work a job and to, and to, and to value things. And, and I, I just wish that wasn't the, case and but it, it but it's true and and but i believe if there's any context where it should not be true it should be in within the local church that we should never get to the place as a church where we look at people that are older and we just kind of set them to the side because they're their history and they're and they're the past and we don't have to value them or prize them or honor them and respect them that is so contrary to what scripture teaches us about how we should treat Older men and older women. As far as I'm concerned, that's how, that's how I'm going to live as I'm younger. And when I get older, I'm sowing, I'm sowing some things. So I'm praying one day that when I'm older and I have gray hair like Pastor Renee, that the younger people are going to honor me and respect me and prize me and not overlook me and not think that my opinion doesn't really matter. You know, when you really begin to think that, well, you know what happens? You end up getting in a pickle. And who do you want to call? You want to call that older person that you know has been through something. That you know has had a struggle or two. You, you call mama or papa. You call your, your, your aunt or your uncle. You call your mama or your daddy. I mean, I remember, you know, I really didn't really respect my dad 
a whole lot. I did respect him because he would beat me if I disobeyed. But I didn't really respect him here and in my, in my heart until I got a little older. Until I realized that, he, you know, a lot of things he said was true about life, about, you know, responsibility, about making money and about just things in general. You, you know, that's what happens when you're a kid, when you're younger. You just you just think you've got it all figured out and you don't need help. You don't need advice. You don't need counsel. But as a church family, this is how we should view older men and older women. We should value and esteem them in our church. We should not overlook them as insignificant. And so that's the first picture that I see there. The second picture is talking about, let's go back to the first two verses. It says, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. And as our relationship with younger men and younger women, we should relate to them as brothers and sisters. And in, in, in there, at, with sisters, it says, in all purity. And so, and so, in our general relationship with each other in the body of Christ, we should relate, number two, to younger men and, and women with love and purity. With love and purity. We should see each other. We should see each other out of a heart of love as brothers and sisters in Christ. It is important for us to see each other as brothers and sisters in the family of God. It's so important that we see that we are a family. And we are not, we're not here, we're not here to hold things over people's heads. We're here to relate to each other as a brother and a sister. So how should we relate to each other as brothers and sisters in Christ? First scripture I I, I thought of was John 13, 34 through 35. It says this, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. That's how we should relate to each other. That the way, the way that people are, are going to know that we're Christians is by how we love each other in the family of God. Our love for one another as brothers and sisters in Christ is the visible evidence of the love of Jesus in our hearts. Our love for one another as brothers and sisters in Christ is the visible evidence of the love of Jesus in our hearts. You know, if you can't love your brother and sister in Christ, if you can't genuinely love each other in the household of God, then you need to pray, Lord, touch my heart. What is it in my heart that's hindering me from genuinely loving my brothers and my sisters in Christ? We are called to love each other. And because of that love, because of that love, when people look at us and they look at that unity, they see the love of Jesus in us. It is a reflection of Christ when we love each other. Proverbs seventeen seventeen says this. It says, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. A brother. And that word brother is speaking of of flesh and blood brother. And so when we're thinking about being brothers and sisters in Christ, that's the picture that God is painting for us, that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And so what is a brother and sister supposed to be there for? They're there in your time of adversity. They're the ones that should be there. And so that's how we should relate to to each other. When you're going through trials, I'm your brother in Christ. I'm, and, 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 and you're my sister in Christ. And we are there to bear each other's burdens. You know, one of my favorite portions of Scripture is Galatians 6, as it deals with this subject of how we should relate to each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, and I've heard a lot of people say that in the church we shoot our wounded. You guys ever heard that phrase? 
that when somebody's down and they've messed up, they've blown it, they've sinned, that we don't treat each other like brothers and sisters in Christ. We're, we're not a brother born for adversity, that we discard the ones that are overcoming sin. We discard the ones, we push them to the side because we don't want to deal with what they're going through. And I think Galatians 6 is such a powerful picture of what it really means to be a part of the family of God. Let's just read this section. It's 6, 1 through 2. And again, if, if you go back, when you get home, read from verse 1 all the way through 10 or 12 verses there. It paints an even bigger picture. But just for the sake of time, I just want to re- focus on, on, on these two verses here. It says, brothers, brothers. So that's speaking to us, brothers and sisters. If anyone, and that to me, anyone would mean anyone, right? If anyone is caught in What's the next word? Any. Does it give a limitation? It says any. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. And this word right here, bear, such an amazing word. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. That word, that word bear, when you study it out in the Greek, it's, it gives the picture of to carry, to take up, and to lift. And so this is what we do as brothers and sisters in Christ. When we're struggling, when we are going through difficulties in our life, when we're caught in transgressions and sins, we who are spiritual, we who have, we who are not struggling momentarily, should be the ones that, that carry and lift up the burdens of our brothers and sisters in Christ. That we, we pull them up. We, we, we carry their burdens. We lift their burdens off of their shoulders. And we should restore them. Because we know that we could be tempted just like they're tempted. That's what families do, right? That's what families do. Families are there for each other. Families are there to love each other when, when we are in difficult situations. And you know, again, I understand. I understand it's challenging for us to think like this in, in, in church because we don't see it like that. It's hard for us because we're so busy in our lives. But this is, this is the reality. This is, what, this is what we should do as a family. This is how we should respond when we hear stories of people that mess up or people that are struggling, brothers and sisters. We shouldn't, we shouldn't elevate ourselves in our thinking that we're better than them. Oh, man, did you hear about brother so-and-so? can't believe what happened. can't believe what he did. can't believe he stumbled like that. I can't, I can't believe she did that or did, or did this. should not be our response. Our, our response should be, how can I help? How can I bear that burden? How can I restore them with a sense of humility? How can I pray for them? That's what families do. Families stick together. I've got your back. And you should have my back. We bear one of the burdens. We carry, we take up, we lift those burdens. Our love for one another is the visible evidence of the love of Jesus in our hearts. So that's the first two sections there. We're a family. We're not a gathering of spectators. And we should honor those that are older. We should respect them and value them for who they are and the wisdom that they have gained over the years. And we should treat everyone in our church at Living Word as brothers and sisters in Christ, as valuable, as precious, 
as my brother, as my sister, as somebody to be to be encouraged and strengthened and prayed for. And when we fail, we should pick them up. We should restore them. We should never leave anybody by themselves when they're struggling. This is one of the reasons why in a larger church it's so important for us to do what we do in the middle of our service, to pray for each other. We can touch and we can agree. We can bear, bear each other's burdens. And now, now let, let's transition here to this section about widows. And, and this is, a, this is a, a, an, an interesting section. It could be a challenging section for some of our understanding, but I think we can get some clarity here. The third thing I want to point out tonight is, is this. In view that we're family, we should take care. We should care. We should care for the most vulnerable among us. And this is the picture that we just read in, in verses 3 through 16. Now, I, I want to show God's heart for the widow and for the orphan in, with several scriptures here. Exodus 22, 22 through 23 says this. You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry. And I left out the next two verses because it's pretty harsh. Basically, God's coming to get you. Maybe you can read ahead and see what he says there. But he's coming after you. Don't mistreat widows or orphans, fatherless children. They're, they're the most vulnerable in our, in our society and in our church. Isaiah 1, 16 through 17. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Remove evil, the evil of your deeds before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless and plead the widow's cause. James 1 through James 127. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. So if you want to know, foundational level, boil it down. What is it all about? To visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. It's a powerful statement. That should, if we're going to champion something in the church, we're going to champion taking care of those who can't take care of themselves. If we're going to champion something in the church, it should be that we seek to care for the most vulnerable in our church and in society. And so that should be what marks, but in, in our context of the church, that should be what marks us, that we, that we care about the widows. We care about the, the orphans and those that have no one to support them. Now, specifically in this context, in chapter 5, there were some issues that would have been going on. And then there was a cultural view of marriage and what would take place when a woman's husband would die and she would become a widow. If you ever studied the book of Ruth, you saw that when Ruth lost her husband, the next of kin had the responsibility to marry her and to take care of her and assume the responsibilities of her dead husband. And, of course, Boaz ended up being the next of kin, the, the closest of kin to Ruth, he said, he said, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to let go of my right and let you take that right. And so they did a thing where they grabbed each other's thigh and they passed on the right to take care of, of Ruth. And, and Boaz took care of Ruth. He, he took her on and took care of her. And so that was, that's how it was in Jewish marriages. So this is not an apples to apples thing. So I, I just have to express that right off the bat before we get into the issue of what should the church do for widows? Um, it's not exactly the, the same thing that the Apostle Paul is, is, is dealing with as to what we will deal with. Because in those days, again, if the woman would die, if the husband would die, the next of kin would take her. And he addresses that. He talks about the relatives taking care of 
the 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 uh, the uh, widow. And so um, there was also an, an, an issue of the of false teaching. And, and as I was studying on, on this issue about the widows, there was there was one part of the false message that was going around was that was that people should not marry, that if their if their husband died, that they should not get remarried. And that was a message that was going around. That's why when you read through, through, through those verses, Paul was telling Timothy, encourage the younger ones that they should get remarried, that they should marry. And so those are the specific context pictures that Paul is dealing with. But generally speaking, what are the principles that we see here? So that's what we're after. What are the principles? How should we respond in 21st century culture to, to widows? How many widows do we have here tonight? Yes. And I knew, I knew all of you were widows, right? So how should we respond to widows? Again, it's slightly different. In those days, there were not 401ks, insurance policies, IRAs. And so in our modern culture, there's times whenever a husband dies and he's got a life insurance policy and the wife will inherit that. And so they're not to the place of being des- destitute with nobody to take care of them. And so, again, it's not an apples-to-apples picture, but I think there's principles here. And so, how does, how should the church respond to this? And so, let's go back through those, let's go back through those verses. And I'm gonna, there's three principles that I, that I think guide us, uh, in this. And I'll, I'll go over them. So, uh, honor widows who are truly widows. So that's the first thing that stands out to me. That there can be people who are not truly widows that need to be taken care of. And here's what he's getting at. If a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. So this is my first point. What should be our model? Children and grandchildren should care for their aging parents and grandparents. So I think that's the first principle that we look at. That in our church, if a woman's husband dies, whose responsibility is it at first to take care of them? The children and the grandchildren. My, my grandparents are uh, in their 80s. And um, I just got a phone call before I came here. I thought it was an ironic thing. I've come in here pre- going to preach about older people. Preach about caring for widows and, and vulnerable people. And they're both in their mid-80s and they struggle. It would be best, I believe, for them to be in a nursing home. But they're resisting and fighting and they're not going to go. But we just got word that somebody complained about something on their property. And they live here in Homa. And... My, you know, my younger brother just called me and said that there was some type of uh, parish worker that was in front of their house. And my brother got out the car and he asked him, the parish worker asked my brother, so do you know that your house is going up for auction tomorrow morning at 10 a.m.? And he said, no, this is not my house. This is my grandfather's house and I'm almost positive he doesn't know that. He's, he's got a mortgage on it. He's, you know, it's his house. <laughs> so... But what's going on is, is that they put a trailer on their property and they're older. It's hard for them to take care of their things and people have complained about it. And, and so they were ordered to remove the trailer from their property, but they had, they don't, they didn't know about it. So now there's this big mess that's going on where by 10 a.m. tomorrow morning, that trailer's got to be moved. We've got to figure something out. So I'm talking to my brother about it and he's younger than me. And so he's saying, man, I don't know what to do. So I'll tell you what to do. Call daddy. That's his mother. She's my grandmother, but that's his mother. He needs to be a bulldog and he needs to go after these people and figure out what's going on. 
So then if he can't get it done, then we'll, work, we'll all work together. We're going to all get, get it done. But that's our responsibility. It's my dad's responsibility to make sure that his mother is okay. And when my parents get older, it's going to be my responsibility to honor them, to respect them, and to take care of them. And so this is what Paul is saying here. Honor the widows, take care of the widows who are truly widows, who are truly destitute, who have no one. So that's the first principle that we see. Children and grandchildren should care for their aging parents and grandparents. And then let's keep going. It says, she who is truly a widow, left all alone, picture of being destitute, has set her hope on God. It continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent, contrasting two different type of women here, is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. Let's keep going. Verse 8, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives, so here's what we were just talking about, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband. Now again, this is not saying that if you have been married multiple times, that you, when your husband dies, your last husband dies, that you should not be taken care of or have uh, the church respond to you in care. What it's saying is that that, that picture uh, have been the wife of one husband is the same picture that we read in First Timothy 3 and it talks about the qualifications for, elder, for, for elders to be the husband of one wife. It's the same picture that this person has the reputation of being a one-man woman, that they are not living in sexual immorality. And so it says that she should be the wife of one husband having a reputation for good works. As she has brought up children, shown hospitality, washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and devoted herself to every good work. So this points to a second principle. That the church should not care for those who are living immoral lives. You can't expect to come and be a member of the church, and your husband dies, but you're not acting like a member. You're going around and acting crazy and living an immoral life. So the second principle is that women who have not shown godly character should be excluded from being taken care of in, in the church. They shouldn't expect that. Just like somebody, just besides the issue of widows, just like if somebody comes to the church and says, yeah, hey, I'm a member at Living Word. Can you do this and do that and, and pay this and do that? And we look, in, look into their life and, there's no record that they ever gave anything to the church. There's no record that, that they're even a believer. There's no record of anything. They shouldn't expect to receive the benefits of the family if they're not living like they're a part of the family. And so, so to me, that's the principle there. Again, but it's a fine line. This is not a buy-in system. You don't pay your tithes so you can get something out of it. You pay your tithes because you're honoring God. We don't want to create a buy-in system. Well, this is not a country club. You pay your tithe and you come knock on Pastor Nate's door at, at his house. Hey, I paid my tithes this month. I, I need you to do something for me. It's not what we're talking about. But I think the heart, the principle behind it is what we're seeing here. And then the third principle. Let's, let's keep reading. Let's go back to the text. Okay, but refuse to enroll younger widows. So this is an interesting, <laughs> interesting section here. For when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry. So what was going on, what he's saying there is that, is that these, young, these younger widows, they, they, their husband just died, and then they're young enough to get remarried, and he's saying they should marry. They shouldn't pursue getting taken care of from the, the widow's fund because their passions are going to stir up, and, and, and some young guy's going to walk by, and they're going to be like, hey, that's, that's a nice-looking guy. 
think I might be interested. So, so a younger woman should not be involved in the, that widow program. Now, again, if a younger woman loses her husband and she is destitute and has no family to take care of her and, has, and is a member of this church in good standing, then the church should do what they can do. And we're going to talk about in just a minute about who the church is. Um, okay, so they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they desire to be idlers going about from house to house. So basically, they're just doing a bunch of nothing. They're younger, and if the church is going to take care of them, then they're just going to be idlers and busybodies, and they're not going to get busy doing work and being productive, saying things that they should not do. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their household, take care of themselves, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. So the third principle I see that fits our context is that younger widows should be encouraged to work. This wouldn't have fit that principle wouldn't have fit in that context. But he's talking about being a busybody and not being productive and they're just going to be idle. In 21st century culture today, in, in our church, a younger, woman, a younger woman can can work. They can go about and get a job and provide for themselves. And so to me, those are the three principles that I think fit our context. Children and grandchildren, number one, should care for their aging parents and grandparents. Women who have not shown godly character, should be excluded from that. And younger widows should be encouraged to work. And so, how can the church help genuine widows in their time of need? And so you got to ask the question, who is the church? Because here's what begins to happen. There is a view of the institution of the church that can be kind of the same view that we view the government. That the government's there to serve me. And so the institution, the church is there to serve me. So I pay in my taxes. And when I turn, what's the age now? 63 and a half? 62? I'm on, I want my social security. I pay my dues and so they need to take care of me. So we cannot see the church like the government. We cannot see the church as an institution that we pay into that whenever it's time, I want to draw a little something back from it. That's not the picture of the church. What is the church? Anybody have an idea of what the church is? I've been talking about it all night tonight. It's an easy answer. So that would be who? Ah, it would be you. You're the church. You're the church. So who should take care of widows that are truly destitute? The church. Now, when I, if I would ask that question, who should take care of widows that are destitute, what would most people say? Those offices over there. You know those offices, those executive offices where Pastor Renee is and I am and Clyde and all those pastors that, that are on staff here? That's what y'all would think, right? Look, look, the church needs to take care of those people. So there's two examples in Scripture that gives us answers to this. There's, there's the congregation that makes up the church. And then there's the organization. There's, there's the congregation and the organization. So let's, let's look at those two examples. Ephesians 4. 11 through 16. This is the picture of the congregation and how God uses the congregation to meet the needs of the body of Christ. It says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints, the family for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the son of God to mature manhood. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves 
and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, this is all the process of being of growing in Christ because of pastoral care. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole family, the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it does what? It builds itself up in love. And so this is the first, this is the first picture of who should take care of widows that are truly in need. This is what happens. You come to church and you, you come in on Sundays. And if you have a spectator view of coming to church, then you don't, and you don't see this as a family gathering, then you come and you miss your opportunity to do that right there. To build each other up in love. And you come and you just listen to the good music. Jesse plays the drums and he kills it on Sundays because he's an amazing drummer. And you just think, man, he can really play the drums awesome. And then you leave. And then you do that next Sunday. That was a great message by Pastor Renee. I just loved it. But then you leave. And you don't come and you don't see this as a part of what your responsibility is. You see, pastors come and we open the word of God and we teach the word of God. And our prayer is that as you hear the word of God taught, that you mature in the faith and you begin to look around you differently than you used to look at things. And one of the ways our, my desire, what our, our pastoral staff sees is that we want us, you know, because I can't love everybody at the same time. I can't pastor everybody. Pastor they can't pastor everybody. And, and all the pastors can't shepherd everybody. But you can carry the pastoral load. We can carry it together. So that's why we equip the saints for the work of the ministry so we can build each other up together in love. So that means when you come in, you come in now with a different view. You come in now with a responsibility, not with the position of what am I going to get out of it? And no, I'm coming in thinking who's going to be next to me today. And then you, you just hear because the Lord knows you're coming with that attitude and he just has a way. When people come in with an attitude of service and a desire to build up the body of Christ, he has a way of getting people in front of your eyes that you need to see and hearing the stories that you need to hear. You hear about so-and-so who just lost their husband and they're in need and they don't have family. And they've, they've been here for years and they're, it's a godly woman who has loved her, loved her husband and lived a, a, a holy life and they're in genuine need. God brings you across their path and you are the church that cares for the widow. That's, that's the picture. You guys follow me? It's the first picture. Let's look at the organization. Acts 6, 1 through 7. So now, this is what was going on. There was a fund that was set up to care for widows who were genuinely widows in the early church. But there was a problem. You had these Jewish Christians who got saved, and you had these non-Jewish Christians who got saved, and the non-Jewish Christians were saying that the Jewish Christians were showing favoritism to the Jewish widows, and that, and that they were overlooking the non-Jewish widows. And so they brought the complaint to the apostles, to the pastors of the church, and they said, wait a minute, there's favoritism going on, we need to figure this out. So let's see what took place here, Acts 6, 1 through 7. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenist, arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. 
And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, this is such an interesting point here. Brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, Philip, so-and-so, 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 and so-and-so. These they set apart, were set apart by the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. That, that last verse, verse 7, that is so powerful right there. You know what would have happened if the pastors would have had to try to break up the fight amongst the Hellenists and the Hebrews? And they would have had to have gone and had to close their Bible. They're studying for their message because they have to get up and share something. But hey, I, I got to go break up a fight between the Hellenists and the Hebrews so that, so that people aren't getting overlooked. So I got to close my Bible. And I, I don't have time to study. I don't have time to pray. I don't have to, time to devote myself to knowing God's word. So when they would get up, what would happen? They don't know nothing. And there's no, there's no substance. There's nothing there. They don't have a word from the Lord to give to the people so the body can be built up so that the body can do the work of the ministry and they can grow into maturity in Christ. And this is the principle. And so verse 7 says, And the word of God continued to increase. Because the body of Christ was doing the body ministry. You guys follow me? We, we have to get away from this idea that because we have an organization, that the organization is the one that meets the needs of the people. That's not biblical. The biblical pattern is that the people meet the needs of the people. The organization's responsibility is to facilitate that and to give opportunity for that. And to give finances to that so that that can take place. And so that's the, that's the picture of how the church, the people and the organization works together so that people's needs are met. That's what we do. And so it's not just the issue of widows. It goes across the board. It's, 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 it's when there are needs in the church. God wants you, the church, not the organization. Don't wait on, don't, don't wait on me or Pastor Renee or anybody else to, to meet people's needs. If you see the need... The Lord brought it across your path. Don't call me. You do it. Now, call me and I might help. But don't wait on anybody. Be led by the Lord. That's why the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of you. Because he he's placed that burden. God's been working on your heart. He's given you a desire to meet the needs of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Why? Because we're a family. That's what families do, right? We stick together. All right. You guys still love me? All right. Pastor Nate says that all the time. It's the first time I've ever said that. But... Hey, man, I'm just preaching the Bible, okay? I didn't have to care. I didn't have to, I didn't close my Bible today. I kept it open all day. And I got a word from the Lord. All right, the fourth thing in closing. This is, I know this was a different type of message. This is, like, I had to deal with the issue of, of men and women in church. And I had to handle this issue. I, it's, hopefully it gets easier next week. Actually, it doesn't. You know what I got to cover next Wednesday? You guys might not want to come. Watch, watch, watch this. Hang tight. I'm about to end the message. Verse 17. 
Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. The laborer deserves his wages. So I got to talk about that. Isn't that exciting? Lord, help me. Fourth thing I see here, just this is kind of just a, a concluding point, just for us to wrap all these thoughts up. We should see our church gathering as a family reunion. <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that cool thought? Every week, it's a family reunion. Hey, I, I get to see you next week, and we're gonna and we're gonna break bread together. We're gonna exalt Christ. We're gonna worship His holy name. First Timothy. Again, 3.15 says this, if, and I talked about this earlier when I started the message. If I delay, I'm, coming, I'm writing these things so that you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church. That word household in the original language is the word oikos. And it means a dwelling, a house, a home, a family. That's what it means. This is the household of God. It's a dwelling, a house, a home, a family. And so it's a, it's a family reunion, week in and week out, Wednesday and Wednesday. Galatians 6, 9 through 10 says this, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, with that in mind, as we have opportunity, this is what I've been talking about all night, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. And Catch this. And especially to those who are of the household of faith. Amen. That's what the church does. We're going to do good. Now look, are we called to do good to the world? Yeah, we're, we're, we're called to meet. We're called to go out and make disciples of all the nations and preach the gospel. And, and one way that we can do that is by good works. By feeding the poor, by clothing the naked, by caring for the orphans and for the fatherless and caring for the, meeting those needs. But we always meet it with the, the gospel. We preach the gospel with our good works. But if we're going to do anything as a church, if we overlook our own, if we overlook our own, then it's like we're eating ourselves alive from the inside out. And, we, and then we have no effectiveness to reach the world that's lost and dying. And we have, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those of the oikos, of faith, of the family of God, the family of faith, the house, the dwelling place of faith. Amen. Father, I thank you for our family. Thank you that we are a gathering of brothers and sisters in Christ, old and young and everything in between. Lord, and we love the privilege that we have to be able to come together week in and week out. And Lord, may that be, may it be that we see these gatherings not as a spectator sport, but as a gathering of a, of, of a family, that we're there to, to see each other, to, to pray, for one, pray for one another, to touch each other, and to meet each other's needs, to build each other up, to carry each other's burdens, to restore those of us that have fallen. Lord, may we, may we never see it differently. May we always see it the way your word says that we should. Help us, Lord. We surrender our hearts to you tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.